Everyone, my name is Dr. Michael Wald, and you're listening to Ask the Blood Detective. Today's show topic: empty blood disease, and do you have it? So, what I mean by the term empty blood disease is exactly what the term sounds like. There is something empty or something deficient about the blood, and what I'm really saying here is anemias. Now, when I say the word anemia, many of you are thinking, "Oh, I know what that is." That's iron anemia, and I I have that. So in other words, uh, a lot of women out there are uh, familiar with the term iron anemia because if you're of menstruating age, the loss of iron in menstrual blood commonly makes a woman iron anemic. But there are many other types of anemia, and some of them are life-threatening. Even iron anemia from menstruation can profoundly affect quality of life and can be so severe. I mean, I've had patients, their lives were ruined because of the hormonal problems that have caused iron anemia from menstruation. Let me say that again. The problem with iron anemia in women of menstrual age is that of hormones. So hormonal issues like estrogen might be excessive, causing uterine lining slothing off or loss of that uterine lining once it's filled with blood. So what I'm trying to emphasize here is that in the case of menstrually related iron anemia, the fix for that condition is not merely to take iron. We would want to fix the hormonal imbalances, right? Okay. So we're going to talk about these different types of anemia in more detail. And for those men out there, you better stay tuned because most of the types of anemia affect men as well. In fact, men are commonly iron anemic. In fact, iron anemia is the most common anemia on the planet. If a man has iron anemia, it is not a smart thing. For that man to simply take iron. Why? Well, we have to always know the cause of iron anemia. And the same is true for all other types of anemia. We need to know the cause because if you're a man, for example, and you have iron anemia and it shows on a blood test, it might show that your hemoglobin and or your hematocrit are low. Your serum iron might also be low. And there are several other tests. Uh, We may get into those as the... uh, as the show progresses, but we have to think, why would a man be anemic? Well, one could be colon cancer. When cancer affects the colon, it commonly causes inflammation and uh, tearing and changes in the colon wall, and or there may be a tumor that is, you know, dripping blood in the intestinal tract, and uh, therefore there is iron loss in the stool. And the man, or the woman in this case too, can become anemic. Also, external hemorrhoids or internal hemorrhoids can cause iron anemia, but we need to know the cause. We never just want to throw nutrients at a condition. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to today's show topic called Empty Blood Diseases, the different types of anemias. And the truth is, probably 9 out of 10 of you out there have one or more of these types of anemias that might be affecting the quality of your life, the way you're thinking, the energy that you have, or the lack of energy, your exercise intolerance, your dull mood, your uh, pale skin. There's so many symptoms of anemias that we need to go through. And a lot of the anemias have the very same signs. So how do we distinguish the cause so that we can treat it? My name is Dr. Michael Wald. I am the supervisor of nutrition at Integrated Nutrition in Mount Kisco. My office is located about an hour north of New York City. I want you to send me your show topics, as you did for this one on empty blood diseases, to my email at info at blooddetective.com. You can also call me to schedule with me if you'd like or to let me know your show topics or ideas at 914 552-1442. And this radio show, along with all of the others I've done on this station, you can find under my blog at either info at blooddetective.com or info 
at integratednutritionny.com. And the website is integratednutritionny.com. So as I mentioned, anemia is a condition that many people associate with low iron. So while low iron is a common cause of anemia, there are many other types of anemia that cause the same symptoms, symptoms as iron anemia, which makes it very difficult for not just you, but even for trained doctors to tell the difference between them. So let's back up for a moment. What is anemia? Anemia is a common blood disorder, very common, and it occurs when your level of healthy red blood cells is simply too low. Red blood cells, you should know, contain a very important protein known as hemoglobin, and that hemoglobin molecule is responsible for carrying oxygen to the tissues and gives blood its red color. That's hemoglobin doing that, but it's also the oxygen carried in the blood that gives the blood a brighter color. When blood is a darker color, it's less oxygenated. So our arteries, by the way, have higher oxygen levels. That blood is brighter than the blood in your veins, which is darker because it does not have the oxygen content. Now, people with anemia often feel tired because there's simply not enough oxygen being delivered to tissues. But like I mentioned when I opened the show, there are many other types of anemia that have nothing to do with iron. And they also cause fatigue. So of these different types of anemia, the symptoms can be mild to severe. And the duration of the symptoms can range from just like brief episodes of of chronic fatigue. Or what I mean to say is that the brief episodes of fatigue or chronic episodes of fatigue, a person can just not get their energy back. In addition to fatigue, Most all the anemias I'll be talking about are associated with overall weakness, a pallor to the skin or a pasty look, uh, shortness of breath. Why? Again, it has to do with oxygen carrying capacity being less, so someone will be short of breath. They might also be dizzy because of that. They might have chest pain as well. If a person's anemic or deficient long enough in, let's say, the oxygen carrying capacity of the blood, they might have palpitations in their chest. They may have chest pain. They may also have headaches. They might have cold hands and feet. Now, as we'll see in a minute, many of these symptoms could also be from conditions other than anemias. But if you have symptoms of anemia, like the ones I just mentioned, the shortness of breath, the dizziness, chest pain, fatigue, uh, pallor, headaches, cold hands and feet, it is important for you to see a trained physician or someone who knows what they're doing to determine the type of anemia that you have. Because a number of these anemias can be life-threatening. So before I start discussing the different types of anemia, I want to just talk about these symptoms again and distinguish them from some other conditions. In other words, you might have anemia, you might have anemic symptoms, but those very same symptoms can be from conditions that are not anemia at all. For example, fatigue. Let's face it, there's only so many symptoms the body can experience from disease and distress. And fatigue is a global one, meaning a lot of problems, a lot of health problems can cause fatigue. Maybe someone has hypoglycemia or low blood sugar. Maybe they have low caloric intake chronically. Maybe they exercise too much. Maybe they exercise too little. Maybe they have sluggish thyroid any number of autoimmune diseases can cause fatigue. Again, toxicity, infections, pain, the list goes on and on. Weakness, as you can imagine, there are any number of conditions like those I mentioned that also can cause weakness. Um, Pale or yellowish skin? Well, iron anemia means deficiency of iron, deficiency of red blood cells. If one is deficient in red blood cells, they'll usually be pale. When I ask a patient to stick their tongue out to examine the tongue's color, it'll often be pale. The roof of their mouths may be pale as well. Yellowish skin. Well, if you have yellow skin and you're not juicing carrots, which quite seriously can cause yellow skin, yellow skin can be caused from what's known as a hemolytic anemia, where red blood cells hemolyze. They just break up. They literally explode in a sense, and they release Um, bile, or bilirubin that is, I'm sorry, not bile, but bilirubin from the red blood cells. And bilirubin 
gets stored in the fat tissue under the skin and makes the skin uh, yellow or orange-like. Now, the key difference between, by the way, carrot juice causing yellow skin and a serious health problem like hyperbilirubinemia or hemolytic anemia or liver disease is that the whites of the eyes will be yellow in more serious health problems. I've seen this a number of times. In fact, there are several times that I was just out and about in my life. One time I was at the airport, another at a seminar. I'll tell you this very quickly because it's very interesting. I was at a seminar with over 700 doctors and I went to the little uh, coffee stand in the hotel to get some water. And there was a woman there and uh, she seemed very depressed and sluggish and she lifted her head up and to me, she was bright orange because I'm used to seeing healthy individuals. I'm also used to seeing sick people so I can tell the difference. And I wondered why no one else had noticed this. I started to talk with her and I said, can I talk to your manager for you? Maybe you'll want to go home. You, you don't look well. And she says, yes, I've been sick for a while. And before she could even finish her sentence, she was sitting down on the floor uh, behind, this, uh, behind this coffee stand. I spoke to the manager and the manager uh, was grateful for my help. They called an ambulance. And before she was taken away on the ambulance, the manager had called the sister. The sister wanted to speak with me. And she said to me, yes, she has a liver cancer. She does not know. And I sadly found out that she died uh, the day after. And one other time I was in the airport running for my airplane, which I usually do. It's my main form of exercise. And I saw someone as I was running on, the, on a payphone. There were payphones when I was doing this. This was uh, maybe 10 years ago in the airport. And I was running past this gentleman. And to me, once again, he seemed bright yellow. And I said to myself, I've got to catch this plane. So I run past him for about maybe 10 or 15 feet. And then I stop and I run back and I say, sir, I'm so sorry to interrupt you, but are you okay? You don't look well. He says, I'm on the phone with my doctor right now. And he's telling me that I have metastatic cancer. So my point is that there's a lot that you can see on people. And anemia, you can sometimes see as a pallor or a change in the, the yellowness of the skin. For those of you interested in much more detail on how you can see disease by looking at yourself in the mirror, go to my website at www.integratednutritionny.com. Go to the blog section and just scroll down and you'll see um, diseases that you can see in the mirror. There'll be two or three or four different shows on this and I'll be doing an entire professional seminar on that topic. So much you can just see on a person if you know what to look for. Shortness of breath, that's another symptom of anemia, of any of the anemias, because there's deficiency of oxygenation, which can also lead to lightheadedness, to dizziness. So, but lightheadedness and dizziness could also be from a neurological problem, an inner ear problem, from a blood sugar problem, from an autonomic nervous system problem. I think you get the point. It's important to diagnose the, the problem here. Uh, and also, on the other hand, I have seen People come to see me that have been diagnosed properly with anemia, and they have had a lot of these symptoms. But more serious health problems underneath were actually the cause of, you know, of these symptoms other than the anemia. So it's easy to blame a health problem on a person's symptoms, but we have to be thorough in how we look at the patient as a whole to see what else is there. Chest pain. Anemia can cause chest pain, but so can blocked arteries in the chest. You get it? I'm sure you do. Cold hands and cold feet. That can be in people who are quite anxious, in a person who has a condition known as Raynaud's disease. So Raynaud's disease or Raynaud's phenomenon, they're different, but they're similar in the, in the sense that a person's tip of their, their fingers and or toes can get very pale blue and painful when they're exposed to cold or stress or gripping. Because all of those things, cold, stress, and gripping, they act upon the nervous system, and they stress it out. And the stress causes the small arteries in the hands and fingers to contract, causing a paler and or a purplish color or, or, and or discomfort. And of course, headache. Yes, if someone is anemic, if they are deficient in iron, they may also get a headache. Uh, headaches can also be caused uh, by blood sugar issues, by food allergies, by you know, autoimmune problems. 
other neurologic problems, uh, stress, of course, lack of sleep, dehydration. Again, the list goes on and on. These are called differential diagnoses. So when I look at a patient, I look at everything that I can. I don't simply look and, and, uh, for, for one anemia, for example. So let's start with these anemias, because if you learn a little bit about these, then you can be a much smarter healthcare consumer, what I like to call your own personal blood detective. So let's start with the most common anemia, which I mentioned earlier is iron deficiency anemia. So iron deficiency anemia is the most common form of anemia on the planet Earth. It occurs when your iron levels are simply too low. Your body needs iron in order to make a protein called hemoglobin, which is in your red blood cells. Without iron, you can't make hemoglobin. Low iron levels can be due to blood loss. We said that earlier as well. Blood loss can occur due to heavy or long menstrual periods in women, uterine fibroids, ulcers in the gastrointestinal tract. The ulcers can be in the stomach. The ulcers can be in the small intestine, even in the colon, which is the large intestine. Colon cancer, very frequently associated with iron anemia. Infections can cause iron anemia. Severe injury, the regular use of aspirin. In fact, every time you take an aspirin, you cause a certain amount of blood loss due to inflammation in the small intestine. And low iron can also be caused by lack of iron in the diet. So iron-rich foods include meat, fish, chicken, eggs, dairy products, and iron-fortified foods. And Iron, and def- iron deficiency could also be caused by the inability of your body to absorb iron if you have conditions like Crohn's disease, which is an inflammatory bowel disease. So there's Crohn's disease and ulcerative colitis and something called proctitis. It has nothing to do with the prostate. Proctitis is inflammation of the lowest portion of the colon and Crohn's disease and uh, ulcerative colitis are conditions or the inflammatory bowel diseases. And then there's celiac disease, which many people know is a gluten disease where a person genetically does not deal well with gluten and the only cure is eliminating gluten. But let's start with that for a moment. If you have celiac disease or if you just have some other form of uh, gluten intolerance, that could create inflammation in your small intestine causing blood loss. And I mentioned all those foods a moment ago that are sources of iron. Some of those foods are healthier than others. My point, though, is we need iron from food. Now, meat contains one type of iron, but vegetables contain another type of iron, and they're not absorbed the same way or as well as one another. So here's what I mean. Meat, chicken, poultry have heme iron. Heme iron is a much more bioavailable source of iron. It gets absorbed very well. And if your anemia, though, is, is so severe, you may need something beyond foods like supplements or an IV of iron. But my point here is the vegetables like spinach, for example, the dark green leafy vegetables, they have iron as well. But the form of iron there is called non-heme iron. It's absorbed just a fraction as well as the heme iron in the animal products. Now, one thing you can do if you're mostly a vegetable eater, a vegetarian or a vegan, I happen to be a vegan, is I make sure to take enough vitamin C daily because vitamin C helps convert the non-heme iron in vegetables to a more absorbable heme iron form. And that usually does it, but it depends. The amount of iron or nutrition you might need to support your anemia and to fix it can and is extremely different among individuals. Now let's talk about another type of anemia, what is called a vitamin deficiency anemia, or what they call in medical circles a megaloblastic anemia. What they mean by megaloblastic is that the red blood cells, which should be a certain size, are, are much, much bigger than they should be. So they call them megalocytes or megaloblastic anemia. So your body also needs vitamin B12 and another B vitamin called folic acid in order to produce red blood cells. So it's not just iron that you need to produce red blood cells. You must have B12 and folic acid. Now, anemia due to B12 is called a pernicious anemia, and that usually occurs when the body is not able to absorb 
B12 properly due to intestinal problems. And this anemia, uh, which is B12 anemia, can also be caused by just a lack of B12 in the diet, or again, what I said, a lack of absorption of B12. For example, if you don't have enough stomach acid, you need stomach acid, what's called hydrochloric acid, to break B12 apart from proteins in foods, what they call cleaving B12 from proteins. If you don't have enough stomach acid, then you'll probably become B12 insufficient. Now listen to this because this is a key thing I'm about to say. If you go to your doctor and you say, Doc, please check my blood levels of B12, your doctor will draw a blood sample and check your B12 levels in the serum or the plasma. Now, think of the serum and the plasma as the same thing, like an ocean, okay? Then think of red blood cells floating around in that ocean. Now, if your red blood cells are deficient inside of them of B12, then the red blood cell becomes big. Just because the ocean has plenty of B12 doesn't mean that the red blood cells floating in the ocean have enough B12. You following? So commonly, people will come to see me and say, Dr. Wald, my doctor said my B12 levels were fine. But I say, but you have, a lo- you have large red blood cells. That is the best test for B vitamin, B12 anemia. Because if the B12 is normal in your blood or even high, it's not in your red blood cell. How do I know? Because I looked at the size of your red blood cell and we know in hematology that that is the best test. So a lot of doctors make the mistake of just looking at the serum or plasma levels, the ocean levels. The other thing too is we need folic acid, as I mentioned, to prevent this vitamin anemia, this B vitamin anemia. But 10% of the population out there, and this could be you, cannot turn folic acid into the most active and absorbable form. And there's a long word. It's called L5-methyl tetrahydrofolic acid. If you don't have enough, if you don't have uh, the the proper genetic activity of, of two enzymes, you just don't absorb the B12 well. So I always use my B12 sublingual, which also has active folic acid and active B6 when I suspect a megaloblastic anemia or or B vitamin anemia. Now before, just a moment ago when I mentioned problems with absorption of B12 and I said that you needed proper stomach acid to break B12 away from proteins in your diet so that the B12 can get absorbed, it has to be freed up. The people who can't do this properly are generally over 50 years old. Because something like 60% of people over the age of 50 do not make enough hydrochloric acid. So I would give them hydrochloric acid, but you don't give that to anyone. Also, it's important to know that this megaloblastic anemia, these large red blood cells, see mega means big, micro means little. You can have a megaloblastic anemia because you don't have enough B12 in your red blood cells, you don't have enough folic acid in your red blood cells, but... Also, low vitamin E can cause a megaloblastic anemia by enlarging the size of the cell. And by the way, when you enlarge the size of the cell, it's like enlarging uh, your bicep in the gym. With every repetition of weights, your muscle might get a little larger, but it gets less and less effective. So large red blood cells are not okay. Large red blood cells, first of all, don't live as long as regular uh, red blood cells. If they don't live as long, then you won't have enough circulating red blood cells to carry oxygen to your tissues. And since oxygen has to be carried to all your tissues, you can have symptoms in so many different places. If your brain doesn't get enough oxygen, you might have brain fog, your memory might be failing, you might have headaches, your vision might be off, you could be dizzy, just to name a few things just in your head. Then you can go to the rest of the body and figure out other things like if you don't have enough oxygenation to your muscles, you can get cramping all the time. So many patients I see, every time they they cramp, they eat a banana and have magnesium. Well, that could help, but not if you have iron anemia. If you take these other things, like I just mentioned, magnesium uh, and and eat a banana, they're certainly fine and they're not going to hurt you most likely, but 
you want to fix the problem. So if your if your problem with let's say spasms comes back after uh, you know a month, you know that it was just placebo uh, in terms of the magnesium and the uh, banana actually helping. And if someone has a vitamin E deficiency and they have this enlarged cell known as a macrocyte, big cell, then the red blood cell uh, can break up. And again, it can release bilirubin, which can color the skin, you see. But in order to know the difference, do I need vitamin E? Do I need B12? Do I need folic acid? We need to look at the size and shapes of the cells under a microscope. We need to look at blood levels of something called serum iron and total iron binding capacity and iron saturation and something called ferritin and the red blood cell count. So these complicated test names, don't worry. That's why you go to someone who knows what they're doing. But you have a clue that, yes, you need specific things with your anemia. And then there's something called anemia of chronic disease. If you have chronic health problems, uh, meaning health problems like Crohn's disease or rheumatoid arthritis or multiple sclerosis or lupus or Sjogren's disease or diabetes or even HIV, AIDS, kidney diseases. There are many diseases that disrupt the body's ability to produce red blood cells in the first place, cancer of the bone marrow. So red blood cells are made in the bone marrow. That's the inner portion of your bones. But white blood cells and platelets are also produced there. So a knowledgeable doctor who looks at your blood work and sees an iron anemia, but also sees a low or low normal white blood cell count and a low or low normal platelet count, they should be very suspicious of some process, probably not a good one, happening in the bone marrow. Let's move on to another type of anemia. But before we do... I just want to take a moment and say that you don't want to treat your anemias by, by yourself. You want to find out the cause of them and provide the right nutrition and or methods of remedying them. For those just joining us, my name is Dr. Michael Wald. We're talking about the anemias, what I call empty blood diseases, and how to distinguish them and how to fix them na as naturally as possible. Please send me your questions and concepts to 914-552-1442. Or you can email me at info at blooddetective.com. I don't want to spend too much time on the anemia of chronic disease, which basically is an anemia, a deficiency, usually of at least red blood cells, that is caused by any number of diseases. So I mentioned AIDS, rheumatoid arthritis, Crohn's disease, kidney disease. They can disrupt the body's ability to produce red blood cells. There's also a very rare anemia, not that rare actually, but it's rarer, known as aplastic anemia, where the bone marrow decreases its production of all types of cells. So that's red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets. I see this very commonly because I see very ill people. An autoimmune disorder can also cause an aplastic anemia, which again, aplastic means that the cells in the bone marrow are not working well. A, a condition has invaded the bone marrow. So the red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelet, um, what, how would I call that? Let's say the, uh, they're called the progenitor cells, the mama cells, and they make baby red blood cells and baby white blood cells and baby platelets. And then when they're mature enough, they kick them out into the, into the blood from the bone marrow. But when the bone marrow is affected, and it affects these three tissues, so these three cells, red blood cells, white blood cells, and platelets, that's an aplastic anemia. And then there's sickle cell anemia. You know, sickle cell anemia doesn't get a lot of attention, which is too bad, because it's, it's, it steals people's lives. It's horrible when people get their, their symptoms and exacerbations. But basically, the cells are abnormally shaped. They're sickled shaped. They're like a crescent shape because they cannot maintain their integrity due to a protein problem in the, in the red blood cell. So the cell doesn't live as long. And it's due to a genetic problem. But there's lots of evidence that the right doses of antioxidants can help offset at least some of the, of the sickle cell symptoms. And then there's what's known as a hemolytic anemia. I mentioned it a little bit earlier. And this kind of anemia, hemolytic, lytic means to destroy. Hemo is blood. Hemolytic anemia is red blood cell destroyed. Sometimes the words make sense in medicine. So hemolytic anemia, where the red blood cell is destroyed, is due to 
red blood cells being destroyed faster than the bone marrow can produce them. So usually this is due to some inherited problem or genetic problem, but a number of blood diseases and autoimmune diseases and definitely a whole slew of medications, and doctors know this, can cause hemolytic anemia. All right. So in other words, that the, these red blood cells are being destroyed by something faster than the bone marrow can make them, and that's a hemolytic anemia. You want to make sure to treat the anemia the right way. As you can see from these different types of anemias, if you treat them incorrectly, you're not going to help or you're not going to get helped. You can even make yourself worse. Now, this next type of anemia I've seen on several patients over the years and can be very deadly. And it's out there and it's known as G6PD. G6PD deficiency. So what G6PD is, it's an inherited condition where the body doesn't have enough of the enzyme, which is called glucose 6-phosphate dehydrogenase. In other words, G6PD. And that enzyme helps red blood cells function normally. Now, if there's a deficiency of the enzyme, what happens is the cell, the red blood cell, it can hemolyze, it can explode, particularly if the person is exposed to certain foods or even certain types of infections. Now, for those of you into the alternative field, and if any of you are getting intravenous vitamin C, you'd better listen, because I have rarely met a practitioner that has first tested a person for G6PD before they have given them an infusion of intravenous vitamin C. If you have this deficiency and you get an IV vitamin C infusion, it could kill you. It can literally kill you. Now, you might think this is rare, but it's not. I have seen probably a dozen or more in the last couple of years of individuals with G6PD. And I would say half of them were getting intravenous infusions because I work in the alternative medical and health field, and these are the sorts of individuals I've seen. And it's just shocking to me uh, how this hasn't been checked. So what you need to know, the long and short of it is here, is that with G6PD, if you're exposed to more than about 500 milligrams of vitamin C, you could cause hemolysis of red blood cells that can explode and then you, can, you could die. I even had an individual come in and say to me, yeah, Dr. Wald, every time I get my IV vitamin C, I feel very headachy, I feel very dizzy, I just feel sick, and it takes me hours, it takes me days, sometimes weeks to recover. And my doctor says it's detoxification from the IV vitamin C. Oh, boy. So after I gather my senses and take a deep breath, I say, no, <laughs> this is not detox. You have G6PD. How do I know? I tested it. You can test it. Easily, it's covered by insurance, the test, no problem. But the individual, too, uh, cannot have f uh, fava beans or even inhaling the pollen from fava beans can cause a reaction called favism, which is this G6PD severe problem. The person will tend to get mild to severe jaundice. They'll get very yellow as the red blood cells break down. There's lots of medications that a person cannot take, or if they take them, they get yellow, they feel sick, because the medications, just like the vitamin C, causes the cells to break down. And the last point I'll make on the G6PD deficiency or anemia is that if it's a child uh, or an adult, the child should avoid mothballs and certain, certain foods, as I mentioned. They cannot come in, in close contact with mothballs because of a chemical in the mothballs uh, called naphthalene. And the child should not eat fava beans. Some people have to avoid red wines, all beans, blueberries, soy products, tonic water, camphor. So this is very complicated. So if you suspect that you have this, if you get yellow from time to time and you don't know why, you might have this condition. I remember watching a, one of these medical shows on TV and they made the show all about this rare condition, which I recognized right away because it was G6PD deficiency. Of course, the patient almost died on the show. You know how it is. And the doctor saved them at the very last minute. <laughs> Well, we don't want to wait till that long. Okay, next anemia. Very common, copper anemia. Now, you don't want to just run out there and take copper, which is in the heavy metal group. Copper can be quite toxic, but you need copper. You need copper for function of the nervous system. Uh, you need copper for tissue repair. 
and you need copper for iron formation. Uh, what I mean, I'm sorry, for red blood cell formation. But there is what's known as a copper-induced iron deficiency anemia, where copper deficiency impairs iron absorption, leading to low hemoglobin. The next anemia, protein anemia, super common. You need to look at the blood test. What, are you, what is your total protein? What is your globulin level? What is your albumin level? Checking your lean body mass. What is your total protein? Symptoms of low protein anemia could be sluggish healing, lack of healing, chronic infections, difficult to treat infections, easy bruisability, uh, lightheadedness, uh, issues with brain fog. So diminished concentration, all these symptoms that you get from all the anemias, you can also experience from a protein anemia. And there's also vitamin C anemia. Now let's stop for a second. Not all of these anemias do you identify by testing the blood for the nutrient. In other words, a person can have low iron in their serum, but they do not have iron anemia. That sounds confusing, right? But if the person's hemoglobin is normal and the person has a low serum iron, they're generally fine. I would also check a person's ferritin, which is a storage test of iron. And if that's fine, even though a patient may have a low serum iron, they're not anemic. My point here is that you just don't run to a doctor and say, check every vitamin level. Remember, because the vitamin levels, although important in some cases in certain conditions, do not always reflect anemia. I'll remind you of what I said earlier that if you are deficient in B12, your serum level of B12 may be just fine, but your red blood cells may be large. Now, every hematologist knows that it's just not every, every doctor doesn't. And as a nutrition-focused person, I'd know this. I also wrote a 500-page textbook called the Anti-Agent Encyclopedia of Tests, which is required, uh, required text for one of the largest nutrition organizations uh, on the planet called the International and American Association of Clinical Nutritionists. They use my textbook. So it's important to go to someone who knows lab. So... Vitamin C anemia will generally produce very large red blood cells, just like a B12 anemia, just like a vitamin E anemia. These are, this is an example of when you would check the vitamin C level in the blood. But if you have, listen carefully folks, if you have normal vitamin C levels in the blood, but you do have enlarged red blood cells, you might need more vitamin C than normal. How would you know? If you take more vitamin C and those large red blood cells shrink down, then you were correct. Let me say it again. You can have a normal vitamin level in the blood, like a normal vitamin C level. But if your red blood cell is large and you take more vitamin C, even though your blood level is fine, but the size of your red blood cell shrinks down more, that means you needed more than just quote-unquote normal or average vitamin C levels. So strictly speaking, yes, vitamin C deficiency anemia is a lack of vitamin C, but not necessarily just in the blood or even in the blood at all. It could be the red blood cell is too big. And like every other anemia, it can cause weakness, gum disease, skin hemorrhages. So not all the anemias have exactly the same symptoms. For example, iron anemia doesn't produce skin hemorrhages, like broken blood vessels on the skin. But vitamin C anemia tends to do that. Vitamin E anemia tends to do that. Okay? And usually people who have vitamin C anemia are very much malnourished. They might eat a good number of, let's say, what seem, seems like healthy foods, but they may be deficient nonetheless. Now, what would lead and mercury and cadmium and other toxic metals have to do with anemia? Well, think about it. Let's just think of lead for a moment. Lead is a metal and it's in, it's near, it's in the same periodic 
location on the periodic table of elements as iron. Now, what that means is there is a greater similarity or there is a similarity between iron and lead, which also means that if a person is exposed to lead and other metals like copper, then that lead can displace or disrupt iron. So it's known that children, but also adults that are exposed to certain lead levels, for example, in children, they say that a lead level greater than or about equal to 10 micrograms per deciliter doesn't sound like a lot. So about 10 micrograms per deciliter was significantly associated with iron anemia as causing it. Also, lead will decrease iron's absorption and affect the immune system. So on a blood test, high blood lead levels are associated with low serum iron levels and also lead will lower the storage of iron in the body. That, that's a test called ferritin. So lead levels in drinking water are commonly, well, they commonly contain lead. Now, many individuals have lead in their water. They get their water levels checked and they're told that the test is normal. If you read the fine print, you might find that, in fact, you may have lead levels in your water, but it was below a threshold that's considered toxic or dangerous. So let's, let's go on that presumption for a second that the lead levels that you're exposed to in your water are low enough that they're considered safe by the FDA. Well, that may be true, but if you're exposed to a little bit of lead in your water and a little bit of lead in different food products that you eat and some more lead from, let's say, breathing and some others from your antiperspirant or something else, you might have a total accumulated dose, which is not acceptable. And that could be the cause of your iron anemia. And if you're thinking, if you're naturally minded and you know about chelation therapy. Chelate means to remove. There's intravenous chelation therapy and there's the more effective in almost every case, oral chelators. Okay. And the oral chelator, that means the compound you use by mouth to remove the metal needs to be specific to the metal. The chelator for copper may be different than mercury and the mercury one may be different than the lead one. My point is, if you go ahead and chelate out let's say the lead, you might also chelate out all your iron. I've actually seen doctors causing iron anemia in people by over chelating them. So it can never be said that natural therapies are totally safe. If they're so supposedly so powerful to help people, well, guess what? They can be that powerful on the other end of the spectrum of potentially harming people. So the point is this. They also say, well, what is a safe lead level? Well, that's something you can look up on the Center of Disease Control website. But what I caution you about is that what may be safe for one person may not be safe for you. Generally speaking, if you're very overweight and you're exposed to a certain level of lead compared to someone else who is not overweight, probably you have a bit more protection if you're overweight because the lead is diluted and distributed differently in the body. But then again, one's weight may have nothing to do with it. If the lead that a normal weight person is exposed to is the same as an overweight person, the lead could cause, let's say, kidney damage. And the kidney damage may occur irrespective of the weight of the person. The point is, one person at a time to figure this stuff out. There is no generally safe level of anything because generalities are not realities. There are no averages. I've never met the average 70 kilogram man. I've never met the average woman. I'm not interested in averages. When I look at a person's laboratory work, I decide on the tests specific to their health concerns with a very comprehensive baseline that I would do on anyone, including myself. Then I'll take that lab and I'll nutritionally interpret it by the use of my blood detective software because eyeballs in my brain are not good enough. I have to look at blood with the assistance of a computer, computerized program. And then, of course, 
a very careful health history where we discuss what's going on in your life. What are your exposures? What are your genetics like? What nutrients are you taking? Oh, and no show on anemia could be complete without me emphasizing that many of the nutrients out there that some of you are taking, that's right, the vitamins, the minerals, and especially the herbs are contaminated with metals. So I can do some of this testing and I also send samples out to laboratories to check different products for their heavy metal content. You know, herbs are plants. Plants sit in the dirt. Then the plants soak up metals in the dirt. And it doesn't matter if it's an organic farm because if the most organic farms are right next to regular farms and all you need is a good gust of wind to blow dirt from one to the other. So some of you are thinking, oh my goodness, what am I going to do in this toxic world? And what does any of this have to do with anemia? Well... (laughs) These anemias are super, super common, and we want to treat them correctly. So number one, you want to prevent anemias, and you want to treat them right. You certainly want to have a diet that is sufficient in the nutrients you need so you can offset your risk of causing various anemias, protein anemia, vitamin E anemia, vitamin C anemia, iron anemia, by making sure your diet's good. But as I've said in prior shows and earlier on in this show, You're not what you eat, you're what you absorb from what you eat. So I always want to assess in some way your stomach acid production and your pancreatic enzyme production because if you're not absorbing these things, it doesn't matter what you eat. We know if you have an intestinal disorder like Crohn's disease or celiac disease or ulcerative colitis, you will have issues with the absorption of these nutrients and you will have anemia and you'll be very tired. Or, or folks, I haven't mentioned this yet, if your anemia has occurred over the course of a long time, your body may, may uh, compensate for your anemia. In other words, you might have a severe anemia and not know it, or, or more than one, but your energy is good. Maybe your adrenal gland hormones are kicking in a lot more, your thyroid hormones are kicking in, or your sympathetic nervous system's kicking in more to compensate for deficiencies in the blood, anemias in the blood, because your body had the time to compensate over time. But if you suddenly have blood loss from a gunshot wound or a heavy menstrual period, you might be knocked out. So just because you don't have symptoms doesn't mean you don't have one or more anemias. Let me say it again. Just because you do not have symptoms does not mean you don't have an anemia. Let's get back to Treatment factors. We mentioned the diet. We mentioned managing any intestinal disorders if you have them and figuring that out. Menstruation. We need to look at hormones because that'll cause iron deficiency. You don't just want to throw iron at you, right? So we get the blood loss from menstruation. We need to fix the hormones. Pregnancy. If you're pregnant and aren't taking a multivitamin with an active form of folic acid, you're at much greater risk for anemia. Also protein anemia. If you have any chronic health problem at all, any kidney issues, cancer, any chronic disease. These conditions and others can lead to a shortage of red blood cells. In other words, an anemia. If you have an ulcer, if you have hemorrhoids, simple thing like a hemorrhoid causes iron anemia, stresses your body out, you get palpitations, you get nervous, you get anxious, all from anemia. If you have a family history of people with anemia, well, maybe you have it too. Other factors, the ones you never think of, infections, a history of infections and different blood diseases. If you drink too much alcohol or if you drink alcohol regularly, if you're exposed to toxic chemicals, but who isn't? Uh, and, a, and a whole bunch of different medications can affect how a red blood cell uh, production and can lead to anemia. Just being 65 years or older increases your risk of anemia. So if you have... In anemia, and it's left untreated, you can cause many health problems. Number one is severe fatigue, even what looks like fibromyalgia. I mean, you can have tender spots in 11 of 18 locations, which is characteristic of fibromyalgia for three months or longer, and it's not, it's not fibromyalgia. It's anemia. So very, very tricky stuff. You can have complications if you're pregnant. I mean, if you have a folic acid deficiency, I think everyone knows about this, right? Folic acid deficiencies, a B vitamin, is responsible for 80% of birth defects. 
even premature birth and other complications. And when I think about that, I'm just amazed that doctors can say on the one hand, well, we don't need nutrients other than a balanced diet. (laughs) And I say, well, doc, we give folic acid for pregnant women. We give folic acid and B12 for pernicious anemia. We use calcium to prevent and treat bone loss. Uh, We use iron for iron anemia. In hospitals, we increase protein when people have infections. And, and the list goes on and on. I don't, I don't understand. I, I know they're not, it's just not thinking. They're not thinking. I mean, everything that I'm telling you here today is all evidence-based stuff. It's found in any medical textbook or maybe a hematology book. You can have heart problems with anemia. So you can have a, a rapid or irregular heartbeat, what's called an arrhythmia, where the, the heart has to you know, pump a lot more blood you know, to compensate for your anemia. So you have deficient blood. Your heart has to overwork. That can increase your risk of cardiovascular disease and, and could even lead to an enlarged heart or even heart failure chronic anemia. And of course, some of these anemias, particularly inherited ones, they, they can lead to death or at least life-threatening uh, complications. So the good news is that many of these anemias can be prevented. So we have iron anemia, so iron-rich foods. And by the way, I'm not judging whether you're a vegetarian or not, if you eat beef or you don't, but I'm just letting you know that if you have iron anemia, beef is a source of iron and other meats, beans, lentils, uh, non-fortified cereals, dark green leafy vegetables, dried fruit, and of course, iron supplements. I use a form of iron, which I call bioavailable iron, which is super easy on the gut. It's molecularly made of tiny spots, tiny circles, I should say, all together in a capsule, which have a very good absorbability. And then there is B12, foods rich in B12, meat, dairy products, fortified cereals, soy products, and I use my sublingual B12. And then there's vitamin C anemia, so foods rich in vitamin C. The citrus fruits, the juices, the peppers, tomatoes, broccoli, melons, strawberries. All of these foods will help increase iron absorption. And I also use my detox eliminate powdered buffered vitamin C. Detox eliminate, which is buffered powdered vitamin C. Helps the pH of the body. Helps to transform the plant form of irons iron into the more absorbable forms of of iron, which is heme iron, then definitely consider taking a multivitamin. But you get a multivitamin with active forms of all of the nutrients in it. You never, never, never want to purchase a multivitamin with iron in it. First of all, if you mix iron in a multivitamin with antioxidants like vitamin C and E, you interfere with the viability of those other nutrients. You oxidize them. That's the term. It's a no-no. You don't do it. You get a multivitamin like my multivitamin complete, which does not have iron, where virtually all of the ingredients are the most active forms of the nutrients, the active form of B12, the active form of B6, the active form of folic acid. You can go to blooddetective.com and you then match the iron you need if you're iron anemia by taking iron separately based on your needs which are determined by testing and then I use my bioavailable iron in addition if you are identified as having one or more iron anemias it's critical that you pay attention to how the nutrient that you're deficient in is to be taken so for example Iron is best taken with food. Vitamin C, it doesn't really matter. Protein, away from other foods. So there's a number of examples, too many to go over now. And by the way, it doesn't have to be that complicated because it's either with food or without food. So usually if you have one or more anemias, you'd have them you know, around certain meals. You set your smartphone and then you know what to take and how to take it. You know, no one ever said that getting well or staying well is easy. It definitely is not. I can tell you that because from a young age, when I was 18 and I was diagnosed with MS, you know, life got harder. But at age 52, I can tell you it was worth it because I, am, I have no MS symptoms. I have no limitations. 
I work out hard. If you go to my, my Facebook page by uh, clicking into that from my website at www.integratednutritionny.com, I have a bunch of those videos of me in the gym. So I don't just you know, mess around. This is a very important area of health, and I'm astounded at the number of individuals that have been suffering for years with chronic anemia. I had a gentleman come to me whose wife brings him in saying that my husband was diagnosed with minimal brain dysfunction. Minimal brain dysfunction is a very common condition, by the way, where people start to remember where they put things. They start sticking their keys in the refrigerator. And the problem is some of us do this all the time. Well, or on occasion. But this guy started to do it on a more regular basis. So it really did seem like this was minimal brain dysfunction, sort of like an early Alzheimer's disease or dementia. Except it wasn't that. Because all I did was make some very fundamental improvements in his diet and corrected a few anemias, and the man is fine. So often, doctors will misdiagnose patients. Why? Because they're stupid? No, that's not it. Part of the problem is that some, well, medical health professionals by definition have specialties. And why shouldn't they? Specialties are very helpful for someone to specialize in an area. But the inherent problem in that, I think, and I've mentioned this on prior shows, the problems with the medical education, is that if you're an internist, you're not necessarily talking to the gastroenterologist. You, you may not be talking to the neurologist or the OB. or, or you, you get my, my drift here? So what I'm trying to say is that there may be anemias and other problems found on testing that your doctor is just not doing. So I'll have a patient come in to me and say, Dr. Wald, uh, you know, I've had every test under the sun and I still have, uh, you know, constipation and I have hair loss and I'm just tired or my skin is not looking the way it used to uh, or whatever the problem may be. And I look at their labs and within a given specialty, that doctor will continue to run the same tests over and over and over and over. The only time they usually do something out of their comfort zone is when a patient insists enough, which is a good thing and it's a bad thing. I'll give you an example that some of you may have done. You go to your doctor and say, Doc, would you please check my vitamin D? I've heard it's important. Oh, yeah, sure, I'll do that. And then what happens when it's low? That's a vitamin D anemia, by the way. Well, I'll tell you the common errors I hear. The patient will say to me, well, I'll say to them, so what did the doctor tell you to do? And I've mentioned this also, and, and the patient will say, well, the doctor said take some vitamin D. Take some? How much? How much? If your vitamin D level is less than 30 and your normal weight, you take 50,000 units a week for eight weeks. And then you recheck the labs. Almost none of my patients are given the instruction. We need to retest at this time so we can then figure out the, the dose of vitamin D you need ongoingly. So we've had a very detailed discussion. I mean, a very detailed discussion on the deficiencies of the blood, on the anemias of the blood. I hope that you got something out of this. Remember, you can always listen to these shows again. And remember, if you ever are diagnosed with an anemia, you want to be and you are your best advocate. So be your own blood detective. Join me for my next show on multi-system diseases because you might have this too. Multi-system diseases. I'm not going to tell you anything more. You got to tune in. My name is Dr. Michael Wald. You've been listening to Ask the Blood Detective. I want to thank all of you for the fantastic show ideas that I've been getting. Email them into me at info at blooddetective.com. Call me to arrange either a distance consultation or an in-person consultation. If you want me to work with you personally, call me at 914-552-1442. And you can go to my website as well. Check out all the great content at www.integratednutritionny.com. Thank you very much and looking forward to talking with you all very soon. Show you.